But we're in desperate need for fathers today. And as you look at some of these stats up here, you see the importance of a father. You see the importance of being the man of God that God's called you to be. And we need men, church. So, everybody, let's give the fathers another warm praise. Paul was a spiritual father to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was much like America is today. And uh, uh, if you study uh, Corinth, you'll find out that it was prosperous like America, yet there was a lot going on. We're in a world where there's a lot going on, right? So he writes them a letter, and in this letter... He begins to say, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, in other words, you can hear in America, there's a lot of good preachers out there. There's a lot of people that, that know the word, that can present the word, that you can gain tremendous revelation from, but they're not all your fathers. And a father is something special. A father is someone that's uh, willing to kind of get in your face and tell you what you need to hear. Kind of get in your face and, and say, you know, son, this is what you need to do. Or, you know, daughter, this is what should be happening in your life. Yet you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Paul was not trying to disgrace them. He was not trying to embarrass them. But he was trying to bring correction in their life. Because a good father isn't trying to just tear his children down, but he's trying to take them to a place. He's trying to take them to a place where, where they'll be successful and succeed in life. So he gives a warning to correct bad behavior. And you and, you're, you and your fathers do not provoke, this is in Ephesians, your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. In other words, when you are disciplined or correcting your children, it's not about enticing them and, and annoying them or bringing insults that will cause them to be angry. It's a matter of correcting them. It's not belittling them. It's correcting bad behavior. Paul didn't say, do as I say, not as I do. He said, imitate me. In other words, I'm going to set an example of what it is to be a man of God. I'm going to set an example of what to do and how to live life, and you can see that through me. Does it mean that Paul was perfect? No. Does it mean that you're perfect? No. 
but we have this heart that's right with God that when we're not perfect, we get it right with God. We don't justify our actions. That way our children, just it's just as important that your children hear from you and you say, you know what? I was wrong. I didn't handle that one right. It's just important that they hear from you that you can humble yourself and admit that you've missed God. Not justifying them missing God or not justifying bad behavior on their part, but being real with your children, they'll respect you. But you're in control. We're in a world that says the child is in control. We're in a world where children, uh, uh, people are, are in fear of disciplining their children. We're, we're, our world is really changing fast. But you're the authority. But you're guided by God's word. Not, not what society says is right and wrong, but what God says is right and wrong. Not by society's standards, but by the word of God or what God, the scriptures would say. This is right and this is wrong. Now, here's what he's correcting them about. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as it is not even named among the Gentiles or non-believers that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you for I indeed as absent from the body but present in the spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. So he says here, I have already. Are we supposed to judge? Well, why is he judging? You see, if you, all, if you don't take every scripture and bring every scripture in and use all the scriptures, you'll lean way far one way or you'll lean way far another way. How are you going to stand before God and, and, and if judging is wrong, aren't you wrong to judge the judgers? Aren't you being a hypocrite? I want you to think that through. But Paul wasn't judging by his standards. He was judging by God's standards. And when we judge as fathers, we judge by God's standards. Not our standards, not the world's standards, but by what God says is right and wrong. And we just don't get to do whatever we want to do. As believers, we're, we're, we're set apart. We're to be a light unto the world. We're not to be the same darkness that is in the world. There's, there's got to be a change that happens in our life. doesn't mean we're perfect, but you have to make judgments. And as a father, you will make judgments from time to time of what's right and wrong. Paul, their spiritual father, says, 
I have already judged as though I was present. Him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together among with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're doing this with the power of God in you. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this judgment, even though it was very harsh and very, very uh, hard, it was not done to destroy this man, but to restore this man at some point in his life. And if you study this through in 2 Corinthians, you see this man, most theologians believe that's what they're talking about, is restored back. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, and leaven represents sin, leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the Passover feast, not with old leaven or not with old sin, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual, immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexual, immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. You cannot be named a brother unless you have become a believer who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I do with judging those who are outside? He said, now don't judge those who are not living for God. Do you not judge those though who are on the inside? It's a question. He made a judgment. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself this evil person. So, Paul, 58 years, 60 years after Jesus has died, writes a letter to whom he concerns to be his children, his spiritual children, and he loves these people. But he's saying, man, you, you guys are, you're, you're, you're celebrating Passover with somebody that's, that, that's living blatant in sin. And if you study <clears throat> out what this, this, this man and, and, and the position he held, it was like he held a very high position in Corinth and that it was like, well, you know, I can get away with this because of the position I hold. I can do whatever I want. 
But Paul's saying, and you have to understand what the Passover feast means. You have to understand the meaning of the feast and why they celebrated it and, and, and the power behind that to understand what he's talking about here. But Paul is saying that, that Christ is our Passover. In other words, through Jesus Christ, we pass from life to death. I mean, from death to life. But Paul is setting spiritual standards. Saying you just, can't, you just can't live anyway and call yourself a brother. And if you're going to call yourself a brother and live that way, then we're going to purge you out for a period of time. So that you do make heaven your home. Here, in Luke chapter 15, many of us that have been saved for a while, we know the prodigal son story. But if you don't know the story, you can read this story today. But in Luke 15, the son comes up to his father and he demands his inheritance. He says, Dad, you know, I don't want to live under your structures anymore, your rules, your regulations. But I want to go and do my own thing. So give me. He has his hand reached out. The father, though, didn't change his standards. He released his son in love. The father had set standards. Those standards went by what uh, God said was right and wrong. So he gives him an inheritance. If you know the story, he would go to the mountain and he would look and he would long to see his son if his son would come back. And he looked and he looked and he looked. This was a day-by-day -day thing. This son's inheritance that he's handing him here represents your free will. This son wanted to spend his life the way he wanted to spend his life, not under the rules and regulations that his father had placed in his life. If you study the story, he wastes his inheritance on harlots. He's doing what he wants to do and what he feels is going to be the best for his life. See, if you live in this house, then this is how we live. These are our standards. We're a Christian home now. I might have been once like this, but now I'm, I'm changing my standards to what God's standards are, and this is what we do in this house. And if you're going to eat meals, if you're going to have a room. And when I go to church, doesn't matter if you worship God or not, you're going to church. These are my standards. When, 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 uh, uh, <clears throat> when, when I want your room clean, your room will be clean because these are my standards. In Luke 15, we pick up the story, and it says, but when the prodigal son came to himself, or came, some would say, to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough 
and to spare. In other words, his servants were taken so well care, they would get a meal and they could eat all they want and there would still be food left over. And yet he is in a pig pen watching and he's feeding the pigs and he's longing to eat the food that the pigs eat. His life had fallen that far apart. And I, uh, and I will perish with hunger. Verse 18, I will, your will. See, I really prefer to baptize a child at least at age uh, uh, 12 or 13. I'll baptize any younger kid. It doesn't matter. But at that age, that's the age that, that they're becoming an adult. And, and that's the age when, when, when uh, this will thing and, and well, I don't want to go to church or I don't have, I'll stay home. See, at that age, they're making a decision. Now this kid, before, he, may, he had to live under the authority of his father. That's why he wanted to get away. But now he makes a decision. He says, I will arise. So you got to make a decision. Every uh, uh, daughter, every son in here, you make a decision to make God your God at some point. At some point, it's your will that determines whether, where you will spend eternity. I will arise up to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. This is how we know his father lived for God. Because his father had the standards of heaven. And before you, he also repented before him. See, in every relationship, there's, there's, two, there's a two-part. A, we get our heart right with God. But then we got to get our heart right with the people that we've sinned against. For healing. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. His father didn't say, I told you so. And this is what happens. A lot of times someone wants to, you have a, a relationship fall apart, whether it's in a marriage or with a, with, with, with a friend or it's with your son or with your daughter. It falls apart. And when that person comes back to get their heart right, what do you do? You want to have vengeance then. You want them to know how bad they hurt you, how much they hurt you. And you're going to do, I told you so, and you're going to bring up the past again and again and again. But his father didn't do that. His father just restored him as a son. It doesn't mean that when someone sins against you that there isn't a trust issue that has to be earned. There is a trust issue. There is a pattern behavior that, that, that we, we observe as we forgive people that, to, to see because many times they have lied and conned us so many times we don't trust them anymore. So that is all re-earned. But God puts, when we come back to God, he wipes away everything we've done in the past. And he don't hold it against us. Thank God. And he puts his robe around us and his ring on our finger, and he makes us sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Not servants. I want to talk about a third son. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land 
I will show you. Abram leaves his father's country and follows God's command. Now, Abraham wasn't raised in a Christian house. He's raised in uh, an idolatrous house. He was raised in a house that had many, many gods and many different belief systems. So when God speaks to him and he tells him uh, uh, to leave, he's, he's leaving all of that. And your country, that represents what you're familiar with. We have tons of immigrants that come to this church. But I'm going to tell you, it's not an easy thing to leave another country and come to another country. I remember uh, uh, in Kenya when I went to visit Pastor Joe when he was being a missionary there. And, you know, their, their market, you had to go buy your meat. And the mark, they just would hang beef in the middle of the day, day like today. You'd go there and cut meat off that animal to take home your you're getting away the flies, everything. If there's a little green on it, you cut the little green off, and then you take the meat and you go home. They never had cold milk. They bought warm milk. How many like warm milk? A few people. So there's a culture shock for an American to go to a different country. There's also a culture shock for people that come to this country. I was uh, uh, getting my hair cut by a lady that it came from Russia, and she said when she went into a grocery store, it took her a half an hour to get out of the coffee aisle. <laughs> She'd never seen so many choices. They usually had one choice, and it was usually some days you'd get coffee, sometimes you wouldn't. But when she came to America, she's walking down the aisle. She can't believe all the different brands, and it's stocked, and you can have as much as you want. It was a culture shock for her. But your country represents what you're familiar with. And God is saying, leave what you're familiar with. Maybe you've never served God in here, and God is saying, you got to leave what you're familiar with. Your family represents your surroundings, your friends, your social network. Those that influence us and those we influence, the people you hang out with. When I got saved, my friends, they all partied. They all uh, 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 did what sinners do. So when I came over to their house, and if porn was on, I'd have to say, hey, I don't want to watch that. You know, I'm saved. I just don't, you know. And they would say to me, Fred, why don't you leave Jesus at home when you come over here? We love having you come over, but we want the old Fred. Where's the old Fred? They just didn't want me to have a beer with them. They wanted me to be drunk with them. Some of you have friends like that. You influence them, and they've influenced you. So sometimes... You have to break away from those influences to go on in life. You could be saved. Your family could come to church every weekend, but when you go to school or when you go uh, to work, you're around different influences, and you're, you, you have to make a choice. 
You need to be a light, not turn your light off. Does that make sense? So Abram leaves his father's house. His father's house represents the belief systems that you're raised in. When we become a Christian, we have a whole new set of belief systems. At least I did. I mean, I wasn't raised in church. I was raised by a good family, and I had a great childhood, but I didn't know the Word of God. I didn't know what God said was right and wrong, and many times I just would read a magazine or a book or watch the TV show, and that would be my standard all of a sudden. Well, that's good. I like that. See, Terah was an idol maker. This is Abraham's father. And according to ancient sages, he was the chief officer or minister to Nimrod. Nimrod was the first man who made himself king. One of the most evil, it's Nimrod is you can trace, he is the root to all God worship. It was Nimrod that then later on made himself a god. His wife became a god, his son became a god, and there's, there's a whole study on that. But Nimrod was a very evil, evil person. He built the Tower of Babel. We don't know a lot about Abram before 75 in the Bible. So if you wanted to read what some of these ancient thousands of years ago sages wrote... You can hear their perspective. One of they tell a story that uh, uh, when, when uh, uh, Nimrod stargazers heard that uh, Terah had a son, they told him that that son would rise up against him. So Nimrod sent some of his soldiers to take Abraham or Abram as an infant and have him put to death. But when they came... Uh, Terah also had a servant that just had a child, and he, and he simply gave the servant's child. And then he took his son and hid him in a cave for 10 years. In those 10 years, uh, the sages say that at age three, he began to do the why questions. Anybody got a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a two-year-old? And they begin to say, why? Why? And he asked the question, Why? If, 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 if Terah's ultimate God was the sun God, he said, well, well who created the sun? And from that, uh, he began to want to know God. And, and, and the sages say at 10 years old, he left the cave and he went and stayed with his great, 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 great grandfather Noah, who was still alive. We know that by biblical timelines. And he stayed with him some 50-some years and learned, him and, and his son, Shem. He was 10 generations removed, but he stayed with him. Now, I'm just telling you what the ancient sages. I'm not telling you the Bible, okay? But this is what they've written in. And during that time, Abraham, staying with Noah, staying with Shem, he, he begins to want to follow God, and this is uh, God. Uh, he comes back. He... he uh, him and his father, God speaks to Terah's father, and he says, get ye out of this country and go to Canaan, or the, what we call the promised land. And we know Terah, in the Bible, he sets out for the promised land. 
He gets so far, and then he comes to this beautiful land, this lush land, and he decides that he's not going to go all the way into Canaan, and the Bible says he settles in that land. In Christianity, many times we start off so strong. We hear from God. God, we... God's given us a mission. He's told us this is going to happen in our life. We start off, we're going to have that, but we come to a place where we settle and we stop and we don't go all the way that God wants us to go. Bible records Terum dies there and God calls Moses and he's, this is when he gives him in Genesis chapter 12. He says, get out of this country, get away from your family and from your father's house. And he calls him to a place, and Abraham listens, and he goes there. And on his way there, the Canaanites see him crossing the river, and they, they say, this is a Hebrew. The word Hebrew means one who crosses over or one who travails, who, who, who comes over. So Abraham got the name of Hebrew from the Canaanites and we become a Hebrew when we cross over also. By faith, God, by faith, Abraham listened to God and he crossed over. Look at John 5.24. Most surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has Hebrewed from death to life. So when we trust God, we pass from death to life by faith. Every person has a relationship with God this is why every child at some point, they must make their own willful choice to serve God. Now, let me go back to Paul. And you, all, you have to understand the Passover feast to fully understand what he's saying here. So Paul tells the Corinthian church, purge out the old leaven or purge out the old sin. You can't stay living this way. When you keep Passover, don't keep the old leaven or sin. Don't bring new sin of malice or the intention to, or desire to do evil and wickedness. This is the Passover feast. But with unleavened bread or sinlessness... Keep it with sincerity and truth. So part of the things that in, if you were to study out the Passover feast, one of the things they do, every family does, is they have kind of a tradition where they teach their children that we got to keep sin purged out of our life. And they, what leaven represents is um, uh, uh, the rising of the dough. And so, so they take bread and they hide it throughout the house and they go tell their kids to get rid of all the bread or all the leaven or all the sin out of their life. So they're preparing for Passover. So it's kind of a fun thing they do with their families and, and then they bake their, their bread with, with, with no leaven, no yeast, and it doesn't rise. That's why they have the flat, the bread is flat. That's why on Passover we have flat bread. So it represents sinlessness. 
So in understanding that, what he's saying is, Jesus was your Passover. Jesus passes us over from life and death. The Passover, if you go back into the Old Testament where it originated out, they had to go get a lamb. They had to bring that lamb into their home. And there had been all the plagues that happened. In fact, there's a whole war that breaks out before this. The firstborns of Egypt rise up to fight Pharaoh, and so they have a civil war before the children leave, before this Passover happens. So there's this war that breaks out. But the children of Israel, they they have this lamb, they bring it into their home, and then are they saved? Because by faith they're listening to God. See, by faith, they begin to do what God says to do. They sacrifice the Passover lamb. They go to a doorpost, and they obey what God says. They take the blood. They sprinkle it on each side, on the top. And and the Bible says the the death angel, which was the last plague that was going to kill all the firstborn, passes over. So they're spared. So... When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are spared what we deserve. Jesus fulfilled the Passover, yet they're still keeping it here as a remembrance of what God has done in their life. The prodigal son traversed or came back to his father. He said, my son is, was dead and he is alive for my son was dead and is alive again he wasn't physically dead he might have been dead in their relationship because he had left but spiritually he had left the obedience of heaven and, and and wasn't listening to what God said was right and wrong but now he's found and they begin to be happy. They begin to have a, a feast. So when we give our lives to God, God begins to celebrate. But <clears throat> we have to get past that we can just live our lives any which way we want to. See, many of us have given our lives to God and God's grace has passed us from life to death. But then there are certain standards he says you have to live to. And we just don't get to live our life. So so this man, he decided, well, you know, I I can commit this this sin and not change. And I can still have Passover with everybody. I can still come to church and I can still do this. And Paul says, no, you can't. You can't do that. So, when you give your life to Jesus, Paul is writing a warning, a correction, not to destroy somebody, but to bring them back in relationship. And I want you to think real deep right here. Who loves you more, the Father or Jesus? Think about that. Who loves you more? When Jesus realized what was going to happen to him, which he knew all along, 
But as that it within hours that he was going to be crucified, he goes to a garden to pray, to pray for strength. He is so stressed knowing exactly the physical pain that he is going to suffer, he begins to, to sweat drops of blood. And in that time, he prays to the Father and he says, Father, not my will. If I can get out of this, let me out of it. But I submit myself to your will. And he became your and my Passover lamb that we can have a relationship with the Father above. So the Father loves us more than anything. But he has standards. He has standards. And those standards are always in protection. Those standards are always for the best of us. But he still has standards. We're given grace, and it's unlimited grace. But we have to continuously put the leaven or the sin out of our life. We don't stay living in sin. Does that make sense? There comes a point where, where we change and we grow and there's, there's a transformation. But if you justify your actions, you're no different than that person that Paul's saying, hey, put this person out. Heads bowed and eyes closed in here. No one's looking around. Today, some of you, you're like Abraham. You've never made the Father your God. You've never met Jesus Christ and accepted this great sacrifice that he's done. But today, you want to make him your Lord and your Savior. Why heads are bowed and eyes are closed in here. Today, you're going to choose to make God your God by lifting up your hand and putting it right back down. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand back there. I see those hands. I see those hands over there. Others, you're like the prodigal son. You've been raised in a Christian environment. Your parents love you, but it's, they're not perfect, so it's not always fair. But you want to go out and see what the world's like. And your heart, you, you don't want to be in the presence of God. But today, you realize your heir, and you don't want to have to go through what the prodigal son did to come back to God. Others, you were the prodigal son, and you came to church for this very reason today, to rededicate your life back to him. That's why you're here. But if you're sitting in the audience today, there's nothing greater you could do for your father to hear today than give your life, your will. You choose to make God your God today. I want you to lift your hands up right now. Amen, 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 amen. You can put those hands down. Then thirdly, 
You've, you're saved. You've given your life to God. But there's certain things you've refused to change. And you're living a way that a Christian should not live. And you want to get that right, right now before God. Amen. Just put your hand up. Put it back down. Amen. Amen. I see those hands. You're living in a way that you know in your heart that isn't right. Amen. I see that hand. You put it down. I see those hands. The Father loves us. That's why he sent his son for us. If you raised your hands this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm going to ask the rest of the church to pray along so we don't single out those people that did raise their hands. Say this prayer. Say, Jesus, today I receive you and the sacrifice you made as my Savior and my Lord. Father, help me to live a life in your standards. Change me. Bring your joy to me. Give me peace in my home. In Jesus' name, amen.